Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello. Oh, you're exactly right, Joe. We work for the man upstairs as you do. You're setting me up quite well. You just gave me an alley-oop. The greatest revolutionary act you can commit right now is to open your mouth and speak the truth. Whether you're an academic or you're a regular guy, we have to be fearless. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach. Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo, as always, joined by Joe Resinello. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go in to the breach on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith to the New York City metropolitan area. Today, we're very pleased and honored to be welcoming back to the program a friend of the show, Father Joseph Fessio. And we're bringing Father on because we want to discuss... Cardinal Ratzinger, Joseph Cardinal Ratzinger's book, The Divine Project. Um, And Father's here to talk about that. The book is available at Ignatius Press. Speaking of which, Father Festio is the founder and editor of Ignatius Press in San Francisco. He's a graduate of Bellarmine Prep in San Jose, studied civil engineering at Santa Clara University. He holds a degree in theology from the University of Regnansburg, where Father Joseph Ratzinger, later Pope Benedict, as we know, directed his thesis on the the ecclesiology of Balthazar. Father Fessio taught philosophy at Santa Clara from 1967 to 1969, and also from 1974 to 1998. He taught systematic and spiritual theology at the University of San Francisco before serving in a variety of administrative capacities at Ave Maria University from 2002 to 2009. Um, And Ignatius Press, so you know, is the primary English language publisher of Cardinal Ratzinger slash Pope Benedict XVI's papal writings. Father Fessio, welcome back to the front line with Joe and Joe. Thank you, Joe. And Joe, and also just a little small point here, not so small, but the first place to go if you want good books is your local Catholic bookstore. Support them. If you don't have one, maybe you want to start one. Uh, but then if you don't, then Ignatius.com, you get our books. Our prices are just as good as the behemoths are, and our service is just as good, if not better. Thank you for that, Father, because we do always emphasize, as you know, on the show, for for who, wherever we could support the publisher, the bookstore. I say, obviously, better buying it from there than buying it from the big boys. Um, Father, would you uh, would you lead us in a prayer to start the conversation? Sure. I thought we already started, but well, it's like saying grace after, <laughs> you've, had, after you've had the hors d'oeuvres. Um, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou, my women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and the hour of our death. Amen. Seed of wisdom. Pray for us. All right. So we'll Thank dive you, in, Father. Father. The Divine Project. It's a study of God the Creator and of man as the Creator's masterpiece. Break that down for us a little bit. Well, a couple of things. First, the Divine Project is us. It's man, mankind, God's greatest work of the material creation uh a little background on this book uh it it really it kind of was found in the attic uh like like a treasure that was lost for some time decades uh back in the 80s uh this phenomenal student chaplain at the university of graz in austria began a speaker series. Now, first of all, 
Most people don't know where Graz is, even if they've heard of it. It happens to be one of the most important university towns in Austria. It's, it's south uh, of Vienna, uh, and it's a very important, as I say, intellectual center. So Father Igor Capolani, great name, uh, Egon, I'm sorry, Egon. So I don't know, last name is, is uh, Italian, but his first name, I don't know what that is, maybe, maybe Hungarian or something like that. Uh, he invited uh, to speak to these college students, Hans Urs von Balthasar, one of the most prominent, but also most difficult to understand theologians of the 20th century. And he had a thousand students come for the, those conferences. So the following year, he invited Cardinal Joseph Rasinger to give uh, th these talks. And why weren't these talks published? Here's my theory on that. I think they weren't published because he didn't write them down. They were recorded uh, and then later, much later, 30, 40 years later, the recordings were found, you know, by these priests at Graz, and then they transcribed them and had them published as a book. What does this tell us? Well, when I was a student of Ratzinger's, both taking his classes and being in his seminars and assisting or teaching, you know, at his masses, I, I was uh, surprised to see that he didn't use notes. Uh, he'd give a long homily looking at us. And yet you could publish it, and it was often published, uh, as it was. Druck fertig, they would call it, ready to print. Uh, when he gave the classes, I didn't notice any notes. Uh, he was looking kind of over our heads at the back of the room. We thought he might have had a, you know, something back there he was looking at, but just a wall. Uh, but he would give this classes phenomenally clear, concise, rich classes, from his head, you know? And so to me, th this book is confirmation of that, that uh, he gave these talks and then, uh, you know, they weren't written down, so they weren't published, but later on the recordings were found and transcribed and we have this book. And it's a book, it's a masterpiece of a book. I mean, there's nothing he writes that's, that's not worth reading. I mean, I believe he will be eventually a doctor, declared a doctor of the church. But in this book, he takes the fundamental issues, uh, creation, fall, and then the church. Uh, and, you know, this is given to college students, uh, and it's quite readable, but it's also profound. And uh, I just think it's a good example of uh, what a great teacher and theologian and thinker he was, and why he will be remembered for ages to come. And why, by the way, uh, that's one of Ignatius Press's major themes now as we begin to do some fundraising, is we want to carry on the legacy of Pope John, of Pope Benedict, uh, Joseph Carlo Rasmussen. We think it is something which will enrich the church for decades and centuries to come. Father Joseph Fessio is joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo, Joe Rosinola. Father, I'm going to be a little bit of a troublemaker for a minute. Go ahead. Why not? Because I can hear, I can hear the, the atheists, the, the naysayers, the unbelievers. Well, if we're God's masterpiece, he ain't doing such a great job. What would you, how would you respond? I mean, again, I, th I don't think I'm being cheeky there. That's fine. I, no, that's I think fine. I'm, I've heard, 
I've heard that. I, I, I think um, Woody Allen said one time decades ago, he said something like, yeah, no, I believe in God. I believe he's an underachiever. It's that type of mentality. What, how would you respond to say, we're his masterpiece? Well, then he ain't his so great. His masterpiece in this sense, he gave us everything that he could possibly give us to make us free, to make us not automatons, not robots that don't make mistakes. Uh, we're getting more and more of those, although, they have, you know, I get nervous here in San Francisco when I see these cars drive by, no drivers in them. Uh, but uh, the, the greatest gift that God gave us was freedom. That is, he wanted, he is love. He wanted us to be able to love. You can't love without making choices, right? But in finite freedom, which is us, not infinite freedom, which is he, uh, there's always a possibility of misusing that freedom. You can't give freedom to a creature without giving that creature the ability to make the wrong choices. So as a matter of fact, sin and the evil in the world and the all the things we see that are ter terrible in man are a sign of his love. So that, yes, the world is screwed up. Why? Because we screwed it up. There is death and disease. Why? St. Paul tells us through the sin of one man, Adam, death came into the world, and we participate in that sin. We're, we're, we're liable to sin. We, we tend to sin, which is why we need the sacraments. We need scripture. We need grace. We need God's revelation. And by the way, uh, that is why the greatest sign of God's love is this paradox, a, a man being tortured on the cross and bleeding to death. That's a sign of love? Yes. God so loved the world that he made, gave it his freedom, allowing it to turn away from him and oppose him and reject him. And so doing harm itself, he didn't give up on us. He came and took those pains upon himself. So to me, the evil in the world is a sign of God's creative love. He gave us freedom without which we would be robots, automatons. And that's exactly what we're not. I mean, I mean, the whole free will discussion is fascinating. I find it incredible that anybody could deny uh, that that we have a free will. But anyway, Father Fessio, Father Fessio, Father Joseph Fessio is joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. We're discussing uh, Joseph Cardinal Ratzinger's book, The Divine Project, that's available at Ignatius Press. Please buy it from the publisher or from your local Catholic bookstore. Joe Rusinello. Father, I, I want to break down the title a little bit more. It says The Divine Project. We're, in a sense, a project, growing in holiness, getting closer to God. Um, in my walk, you know, as a Catholic from, say, 22, I'm 52 now, um, I've come to this realization that the world does not make sense outside of the Catholic lens. Honestly, I've tried it as a young man. Um, I went to one of your schools. I went to the University of Scranton. Um and uh, my way didn't work, Father. <laughs> I'm going to be honest with you. It didn't work. Uh, and then I've, as I've grown as a married man, a father of five, a husband, I see the logic of the church. Uh, that doesn't mean it's easy. And then I also see the outside of the church, people who choose to not follow it, both in it and outside of it, who aren't Catholic, and the chaos that is resulted of it. Um, you know, as far as the project itself, how do you think it's going? 
Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, like, 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 like it's, let's assess it. Like, like, because I believe it. I'm all in. I that doesn't mean it's easy, but it seems that there's such resistance, um, both inside and outside the church. Um, frankly, I, I take sort of like the Forrest Gump approach. The church says it, I do it. All right. Well, you've brought up some several points there, Joe. And so I will dilate on a few of them. As you know, I'm I'm as old as you got two guys put together. Almost. It's all good. <laughs> and so, uh, I, you know, I, I've got lots of things to say and I wander around about. But uh, I I was a little bit more precocious than you, Joe, because when I was in a Jesuit school, Bellarmine, by the way, other Joe's Bellarmine, not Bellarmine, but... Uh, Thank you for the question. I, uh, like Bellarmino, you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so uh, I was a freshman or maybe a sophomore, and... Uh, you know, I realized that I was a Catholic. Why? Because my parents are Catholic. But that wasn't a good enough reason because other kids have parents who are Jews or who are Protestants, who are Muslims, who are atheists. So you can't just be something because your parents were that something. You got to make your own decisions, right? So my little freshman, sophomore mind, I thought, well, I guess the first question is, does God exist? And I began thinking about that and reading about it even as I could at my reading level. But it, it, was, it was clear to me that either God exists or God doesn't exist. There's, there's no there's no third possibility. It's like being pregnant. You're pregnant. You're not pregnant. It's not almost pregnant or partially pregnant. You're, you are or you're not. And so either God exists or God doesn't exist. And the so there's arguments on both sides. And the claim that God does exist is a pretty good claim because, after all, we can't see God. The world goes on as if he didn't exist. We see all this evil you're talking about. We see horrible massacres. We see, you know, mass shooters. We see war in Ukraine, all this sort of stuff. And so what kind of world is this? Uh, where is God? You look at the Holocaust. So that's a very defensible position. The problem is it's harder to believe that there's no God because the question is, where does everything come from? And not just the way things are, but being itself. Things, this exists, that exists. What does he mean to exist? How can you exist? Just be here? And then uh, when you when you look at the stars, you look at your body, you look at a blade of grass, you look at the human ear, uh, that, can't come up, that can't come up by chance. There's no way. So at that stage of my life, I came to the conclusion that while it's, you know, very credible that God doesn't exist, it's much more incredible that he doesn't exist. I mean, uh, there's got to be a being beyond us who's our origin, you know, the first cause, the creator, and so on. Okay, so that, you know, that got me over that most important initial question of God's use. But then the question is, well, so what? I mean, if he doesn't exist, then all religion is a hoax and you should avoid it. If he does exist, well, he's got to be the center of the most important thing there is. So therefore, uh, he should be the center of your life, right? Those are the two things. Now, of course, we try and live in the middle. We believe in God, but we actually live as if he didn't exist. But if we're going to be consistent, uh, we either reject all religion as false and a hoax, or we accept God and turn our lives to him and respond to him in love because he's loved us into existence. All right. So then I thought, well, you know, there are claims that he has spoken. 
you know, Muhammad makes that claim, and you know, uh, Christians make that claim. Uh, and there's some other cultures that don't exactly have God, like China, it's more like heaven. But nevertheless, what, which one is true? So I began again uh, at a very rudimentary level to kind of look into these different views of the world, you know. And the more I looked into it, the more I said the only position that answers the questions in a comprehensive way is a Catholic Church. No other position uh, will make sense out of sin, out of evil, out of goodness, out of hope, you know, out of our immortality we recognize philosophically. So that was when uh, I, you know, kind of consciously became a Catholic. I was a Catholic, but I kind of affirmed that, uh, recognizing that there's no other place where you can find the fullness of truth. And as you said, Joe, uh, when you look outside of it, there's no ultimate happiness or goodness outside what the Catholic Church teaches, period. And so you can you can look at all the evils in the world and see the origin, the root of those origins, in not accepting God's sovereignty over our lives, not choosing him, not doing his will, not obeying his commitments. That's the cause of all the evil. So uh, you ask the question, how is the project going? Well, the project is going poorly because of us, but it's not hopeless because this world is not the end. This world is the path. And the path within the path is Jesus, who says, I'm the path, I'm the way. And this leads me to another thing. By the way, either guys can interrupt whenever you want, but I mean, No, uh, please. No, I, okay. that's why we have you on, Father, because you right. you're here to talk to us. But just let me remind oh. everybody, if they're just All joining, right, well, Father Joseph Fessios here. Uh, we're discussing uh, Joseph Cardinal Ratzinger's book, The Divine Project, that's out from Ignatius Press. Uh, go ahead, Father, please. Yeah, well, you know, Ratzinger, Benedict, was someone who went down to the very basic fundamental principles of things. From the very beginning, did that. I mean, what was his first encyclical on love, right? What What is more important than love? That's the foundation of everything, all right? His his first real book was a collective, you know, lectures he gave at Tübingen back in 67 and 68 called Introduction to Christianity. So again, he's going down for the to the basics. What is Christianity? And in that book, I noticed something which I had never noticed before. Uh, his emphasis on pronoun, not, excuse me, on prepositions, uh, that uh, we come from God, we're made for God, we're, we're going to God, we're supposed to be with each other and with the Lord and so on, all these, because what? Prepositions express relationship, right? And so here's the important preposition for. We pray for people, right? People ask you, hey, Joe, will you pray for me? Hey, I'm going to have an operation, will you pray for me? Hey, my son's having some problems, would you pray for him? And we do that, right? We pray for some blessing, for some benefit uh, on behalf that God will give to some other person. But there's a more important use of the word pray for. And let me back into this a little bit. There's a beautiful uh, scriptural uh, hymn, I guess we would call it, that we say or sing every other Sunday at morning prayer. It's in the book of Daniel, you know. Sun and moon, praise the Lord. Rivers and seas, praise the Lord. Cold and heat, praise the Lord. Well, how can they think? How can they praise? How does the sun praise the Lord? You know, how does the river praise the Lord? 
It can't, except in being what it is that shows forth the glory of God. But we sing that song. It's through us that we are praying for, on behalf of, instead of creation, so that it can be glory to God through us. All right. It's also the case, and the Psalms really show this, that we pray as a church for others in this way. It's Friday, okay? The Psalms have to do with the suffering of Christ. My feet are sinking in the mud. Uh, I'm, 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 I'm gasping for breath. Well, I'm not sinking in the mud. I'm not gasping for breath. I'm sitting in the chapel. It's nice and warm, and I'm singing a psalm. So why am I singing that psalm? Because somewhere out there, there's someone who is sinking in the mud, who is gasping for breath, who's not praying. And I'm going to pray for him, on behalf of him, so that my prayer becomes his. And is that something I'm doing special, Father Fesser, good at No. How did this start? Jesus died for us men and for us. What does that mean? When Jesus was in the world, I mean, there were probably over a million Jews in Palestine. How many followed him? 3,000 maybe? 10,000? That's 1%. Uh, what about China? What about Rome? What about Alexandria? What about South America, the Mayans, or the Aztecs, and so on? They didn't know about him, didn't follow him. Was he dying for them? Yeah. Was he praying for them? Yeah. That is to say that his prayer was their prayer. He was doing it on their behalf. And I think about that. Here I'm at Ignatius Press. We're in San Francisco. Hey, San Francisco. What a mess, right? Uh, on this block, is anybody praying? I don't know, but we're praying for them on their behalf. And so you ask me, Joe, is the price going well? Oh, yes, it's going well because Christ died for us and for our salvation. And he allows us to do that for him. And by the way, oh, gosh, uh, now you got me on a roll here. Maybe Good. Bad. I like the roll. <laughs> but, <laughs> it's a sourdough well, roll, Father. We're from uh, San Francisco here today. Be, yeah, because this is all, I mean, this is all, it's, it's part of the, you know, uh, the question. You asked a pretty all comprehensive question here, uh, a problem, which is a serious one. But, uh, I mentioned Benedict Ratzinger's homilies, how beautiful they were, and he didn't write them down. He just spoke them. And there was a group called the Schuler Christ. After he became an archbishop of Munich and Freising in 1977, his students said, well, let's get together every year. He agreed. So we'd come together for a weekend every year. And one year, I was there with one of my fellow students, uh, Father Schönborn, who became Cardinal Schönborn of Austria, Vienna. And uh, he gave this homily on the parable of the 11th hour workers who got paid the same as the people who worked all day. And I've never forgotten that. Every time I hear that passage, uh, I think about that homily. Well, 20, 30 years later, I'm down in Southern California, uh, Judge Bill Clark's chapel, and Carl Schoenborn is here celebrating Mass, and I'm kind of celebrating. And so as he reads that gospel, I'm thinking of this homily that was given by Rascal so many years ago. And how does Schoenborn's homily start? He said, 20 years ago, Joseph Rasmussen gave him a homily on this text. He remembered it too. What was it? Now, I, I can't say it as beautifully as he said it, but here's the basic thing. The basic thing, I may cry, but I'm Italian, I may cry when I say this, but, uh, you know, people work all day in the field, hot sun, a lot of 12 hours, and these people come at the 11th hour, get paid the same amount, they're upset. 
Ratzinger says they shouldn't be upset. They've had the privilege, the joy, the blessing of being with our Lord all day in his field, accepting the pains that he accepted, doing the work that he's doing, being side by side with him. They've got nothing to complain about. And that was a beautiful insight into that parable. Absolutely. You know what it is, dude? That that shows love. You know, like I think sometimes we still like it's like the older brother and the prodigal son. I'm kind of like that in a sense, because I have a younger brother who's kind of a wreck. He lives in Portland, uh, Oregon, and he grows weed in his backyard and he has tattoos all over his body. Uh, I sometimes think like that. It's about love. God loves everybody and we have to do the same, but we don't. We just don't. I wish I did, but we but try. I don't. We make little efforts. We try. It's like it's like when you go to confession. You know, you confess your sins. You do a penance, three Hail Marys. Well, what what is that? Well, it's a symbol of our desire to do more. You know, so yeah, let, let's make little acts of love. Let's be like the little flower. You know, the little way, and 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 try and and be more loving. At least we can do that, Joe. We can be a little bit more loving than we would be if we hadn't tried. Because I think of it like as a father, I always said this to Joe, like if I had, I have five kids, but say I had 12 and say like I had a son, 11 of my kids were super successful, engineers, lawyers, doctors, and you get that at Jesuit schools. I was the son of a barber, but I went to school with people, surgeons, kids, fancy people. If I was dying and I had 11 successful kids and the one kid was a total screw up or say he was mentally handicapped my dying words or radio host there you go and i am <laughs> mentally handicapped <laughs> my words would be to the 11 you take care of your brother you see we have to think like that i try to sometimes see things through those lenses when i walk through the streets in new york city and i see people especially now that i'm a father i have children i say oh my gosh someone gave birth to this kid look at him like like i i think that way because now i have children and i it would kill me if one of my kids would but that's how god sees us in a way that we can't even believe Joe, let's leave it there for a second, only because we're going to have to take a break. I do want to make one comment. I do notice that um, many times, I mean, we all identify with the prodigal son because many of us have been the prodigal son. We go off into the dark place. We realize our mistake. We go back to the father. Then when we convert, then we become the other brother. Then we lack the forgiveness and mercy, all right, that, that the father showed us when we were coming back, and then we become bitter and angry. We got we to keep that in mind. The story is of two brothers, not just one. It's the, not, not just the one son, two sons. Amen. Jesus started the, the, the parable by saying a man had two sons. Father Fessio, we'll be right back. Uh, we're okay. discussing Joseph Cardinal Ratzinger's book out from Ignatius Press, The Divine Project. Father Fessio is the founder and editor of Ignatius Press. So, of course, we ask you to support our Catholic publishers and also our local, our local Catholic bookstores. You're listening to us on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith of the New York City metropolitan area. Stick around. We have another great segment with Father Joseph Fessio. We'll be right back. Catholic Radio works, and now we have it here in Connecticut and New York. 
It's been seen around the country that there's no better tool for evangelization. Where there's Catholic radio, the folks who listen deepen their faith, families are strengthened, parishes and communities flourish. So, let people know you're listening to Veritas, tell your friends to tune in, and let's make an impact here for Jesus and His Church. This is Steve Lee for Veritas Catholic Network. Welcome back, everyone, to The Frontline with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo, Joe Racinello. We're way in the brief with Father Joseph Fessio, and we are discussing uh, the divine project that is Pope, uh, well, Cardinal, Joseph Cardinal Ratzker's book, uh, available at Ignatius Press, where Father Fessio is the founder and editor. Father, you mentioned creation earlier. I want to stay there. I want to stay on on Logos, if, it, if that's okay. Um, Logos... Translated from the Greek in many ways, of course, a lot of lot of Greek words define or how you define logos or English words that would define logos. One of them is reason. Okay, uh, talk about that. Pope Benedict notes the reason of God and the reasonableness of the cosmos. I think one of the I think one of the big stumbling blocks, Father, and I'm going to hand it right over to you for atheists when they argue simply for the against the existence of God, leaving aside Jesus Christ or Muhammad or this or that, the individual religions, just simply the order of the universe, the reasonableness of the universe. I don't find that it takes much faith. I'm going to be honest with you, to believe in the existence of God. I really don't. I think our reason, our intelligence points to God so so distinctly that I, I I think it's kind of irrefutable. I think I think that's why atheists get so upset when they're arguing. And I want you to talk about that. Talk about Logos. Talk about the uh, Ratzinger's view of the reason of God and the reasonableness of the cosmos. Sure. And and one thing that Ratzinger's done, and Pope John Paul II did it as well, is it defended reason. Uh, men of faith defending reason. Why? Because the world without God leads, as you said, other Joe, to, to chaos. And what, what do we have after the modern period? The so-called postmodernists and deconstruction. And there's no meaning to anything worse than I meaning except the words that you put meaning you put into them to ex exert your power over the people. But uh <clears throat> you know when I exercise, uh well, I do in the weekends actually I work in my vineyard, but on the, during the week I go down into the basement and uh, on an elliptical machine, and I, I watch these different uh, courses, you know. So I'm watching a course on uh, uh, molecular biology, you know, and it's 72 se sessions, okay? After every session, I say, how can God not exist? Well, let me give you this one example. You know, we think cholesterol is bad. Well, some cholesterol is bad, but we need our bodies need cholesterol, and our bodies produce cholesterol because we don't get enough sometimes from, from the food we eat. Well, there's a process by which the cell produces cholesterol. And there are 28 steps in the process. Uh, and each step requires a specific enzyme or that step will not be completed. And so in order to go from point one to point 28, you have to have 28 separate individual distinct enzymes one of which is missing the pro the process will not take place and that gets us our cholesterol really that happened by chance give me a break you know it, it, well, that's, it, and also father that's that's what i mean too i mean it, the, it, the the what you just described the idea that somebody wants to try to convince us roman catholics that that what you just described is just simply a it's random it's a matter of chance and they call us unreasonable 
I, 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 well, I don't understand. You know, it. it's, I mean, I, I can appreciate their position because there's a lot of re re reasons for a person to become despairing and atheistic that the evil in the world uh, and the apparent absence of God. But the more you look at anything, uh, the more you see that there's reason in the world. In fact, what does science do? Science asks the question, why did that happen? Well, if things are just random, well, there's no, there's no explanation. Because if things just happen, then what's the point of asking why? The, the answer is always, it just is. It just happened. We won't accept that. You know, if you... You know, if your studio starts getting warmer right now, you know, you don't say, oh, well, it's just getting warmer. You say, wait a minute, did someone turn the heat on? Is the building on fire? Whatever. Oh, well, uh, it just happened. No. All the science is based on the fact that events must have adequate causes. And that's what pushes science forward. We ask why, why, why did this happen? So the... The, we demand a reasonable answer. And as Ratzinger said in several places, isn't it amazing that our intellect, which demands order, demands answers, demands causes, that the intellect is intelligible, that the intellect will give us answers to that, those things. It, it's, it's got a structure to it. It's not just random motion. By the way, we're, we're moving in that direction. That's what entropy is, growth in randomness. And uh, the universe is wearing down. That's what death is. Death is entropy on the level of the human body. Uh, so it's true that the universe is moving downhill. Things aren't getting better and better overall. Uh, eventually, uh, speaking just physically, the universe will end in an isothermic heat bath. That is all the same temperature, no reaction taking place, perhaps some some quantum reactions that are that counteract each other, but that's where we're going. Well, huh, we don't, we can't accept that as reasonable that all creation should end in a chaotic mass. Uh, why not? Because we've got participation in logos. God made us in his image and likeness. By the way, that's another thing. The great J.R. Tolkien, I love you essay on fairy tales and a poem about man as subcreator. He says, why do we make things? Why do we create things? We can't create out of nothing, but we, we create out of things that are around. We, we, we make, we can talk about a pink elephant because we know what pink is, what an elephant is, but we don't create pink or elephants. But he says, man is a subcreator because he's made in the image of a creator. And the very fact that we ask questions, that we seek answers, that we create things is a sign of our participation in a high, in a power beyond us. I mean, anyway, uh, I'm not sure I answered the question. I kind of got off. No, no, you no, you you did because because you're 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 making sense. You're you, you so. I mean, I, again, I I I have a hard time when when I when if if I have a discussion, let's say for argument's sake, with uh, you know, I have a couple of atheist friends. One's in one in particular who I would love to see come back to the Catholic Church. But I'll just make it like like they they emphasize science. And yet at the same time, you try to explain, but you don't believe in order because then you would have to believe that someone created that order. You don't, you believe that everything is random and by, by chance science cannot be born of that worldview. You atheists could never given their worldview, purely atheists could never 
create the scientific method, nor could Islam. Nobody wants to hear that because it's the view of God, the reasonableness of God, okay, God's order. Islam believes that God is a God of will. He's arbitrary. He's capricious. We don't believe that, all right? That's how science could be born of Christianity, as Father Stanley Yaki in his book pointed out, that, 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 that science is born of Christianity. And you, you want to get an atheist mad, Start talking like that. Father, let's keep it moving. Oh, go ahead. Okay, go ahead, well, I, I mean, I, I, you brought up Stanley uh, Yaki. was very good. But the book, I think, which is the classic text on this, and it's quite readable, and I recommend it to everybody, is by C.S. Lewis called Miracles. And th that book is a book that starts from the atheist point of view and shows that it has an inner contradiction. And he quotes uh, a famous physicist who once said that, uh, if all thought is, is a random mo motion of atoms in our brain, our physical brain, then we have no way of knowing that we have atoms in our physical brain because thought, you know, is not random. Thought is order and it can't come from disorder. But that uh, I'm oversimplifying what Lewis says in the book. And by the way, uh, he wasn't a Catholic until 1963. That was when he died, November 22nd. Uh, he became Catholic then. Uh, but he's one of the great authors of the 20th century. I recommend him to everybody. But his book, Miracles, I mean, it's not as well known as Chronos of Narnia or Screwtape Letters, uh, so on. But I think it's it's one of the most important books that he wrote. Absolutely. Thank you, that Father Fessio. Joe Racinello. I want to explore something you both were talking about. You're talking about linear thinking leading to something. Um, I think while that exists, the problem is people who are away from God aren't hearing it because there's something under it. You see, I think sometimes we approach the problem in the wrong manner. We have the answers. The problem is they don't want to hear it. We have to be able to touch what's under it find that thing that's under it. In my experience, the greatest people that have done that, that I have witnessed in my own life are the missionaries of charity. I have watched men who were so lost get baptized because they touch what's under it. You see, I think as a church, we have to do that. We have the answers. We do. But even the people in the church don't want to hear it, some of them. But there's a problem. It's under the surface. We have to get to that problem, and that requires love. That requires undivided attention. Talk to that, Father, because I personally think we're missing it. Like, we have the answers. We have the minds that can explain all of the problems away. No one's listening. Well, and some are listening, but you're right that uh, the the greatest apologetic for the Catholic Church is love. You know, Jesus says, "By you know your love for one another, they'll know you're my disciples," and that love becomes very concrete in someone like mission, people like the missionaries of charity, and so that that does reflect God's love. That's true. Uh, so I, I agree with you on that. The other thing that, that Ratzinger said, Balthazar as well, uh, who was his friend, uh, that the, 
the ones who are the best apologists for the church are the saints. And, and here's something, uh, Joe, which uh, uh, is Resinello there. Uh, I think one of the most beautiful experiences that you can have on this planet is that of a large and happy Catholic family. And I know many of them, uh, but who would not yearn for something like that? Is it perfect? No. Is it paradise? No. But compare it with everything else, and it is phenomenal. And you look at the look at our prison system. I mean, I think we have more per capita prisoners in this country than any country in the world. Uh, that may not be true, but it's something. It's close to being true. And the great majority of those people in prison uh, have no father. You know, uh, no family. And people want to know, well, how do we solve these problems we have? We have to restore the family. And by the way, I heard this thing just recently, as it might become uh, a a, uh, a tenet of some of the presidential candidates to get rid of no-fault divorce. Uh, what that would do. I mean, I know there'd be a lot of argument about that, but... What has it done for us? Is no fault divorce? It's Nothing. just families, right? Nothing. It's 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 absolutely, and nobody wants to hear that. I'm glad you said that, Father, because yes, I'm glad somebody's bringing that up. It has been destroyed. That is one of the main things. That's one of the main pillars of, of 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 radical feminism. Is no fault divorce. Hey, just wake up one day, you say, you know what, honey, don't want to be with you anymore. That's it. The law says I don't have to show cause. I'm out. Go ahead, Father. But that's a big one. I think that was the back to what. Joe said uh, that, you know, some people come to, to, to faith through argument and reasoning and, and reading books of apologetics, but I think that's a minority. I think the faith is really brought to others by holiness, by love, by what the mission of charity, what we try to do in our lives too. And uh, I mean, I, there are people who have become Christians, become Catholics because of the families they've met and the happiness and joy they've seen there, you know. Yeah, Father Joseph Fessio, let me ask you this: uh, in in Joseph Cardinal Ratzinger's book, The Divine Project, that's what you're we're discussing here today. If you're just joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe, there's a subchapter in the book entitled "Strat." What's a strategy of suppression? I find that interesting. What's that all about, Father Fessio? The strategy of suppression. Yeah, it's a subchapter in the book. I, I forget. I know you have to explain it to me. I mean, I read this book a while back, you know. Oh, all right. Well, then, let, okay, let's fast forward from there, then. Let's talk about um, the... Let's the talk about uh, pluralism, actually, Joe. I wanted to ask him about that, because there's such pluralism in the church. You have basically, like, neocats. Then you have the Latin folks. Then you have, you know, Novus Ordo. The liberals. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. like, how we navigate how does because that does come up in the book how does uh pope benedict instruct us to navigate through that and then the question of theology how does that exist in that realm because we're all different but yet we're all catholic yes and i vive la différence as you say in french uh but there, there is healthy diversity and there's unhealthy diversity and I think when you have in the Catholic Church, you've got Dominicans and Franciscans and Jesuits and missions of charity, and you've got 
uh, monks and you've got married people uh, and you have uh, people who like uh, country music and people who like classical music. Uh, all these things are good, but within a structure beyond which they're not good. And so what does pluralism mean? Pluralism is different perspectives. None of us has the whole perspective, can see the whole thing. It's like uh, if, you, if you've been to Florence and seen the statue of David by Michelangelo, it's a beautiful statue. And, but you can't, you can't grasp it. You walk around it, and it's beautiful from every side. But you can't see all the sides at once, right? So that's the kind of pluralism or diversity which is uh, fruitful and healthy and good. It's like your children. I mean, you, you look at your children. You know, some are better at math and some are more artistic and, you know, some are better basketball players or whatever. You want that. You don't want everybody. You don't want equality in the sense of everybody is the same. And that's true in the church as well. You mentioned the neocatechumenal way and, and the Latin mass people, the Novus Order people. I think we should live in harmony. Uh, although I will say that the the way the Novus Order was implemented and the way it was often celebrated are not consistent with the fullness of the Catholic tradition and Catholic teaching and therefore need correction. That's why I think there has to be a so-called reform of the reform. The liturgy was reformed after the council, but the reform itself was corrupted and needs itself to be reformed. That's something that Pope Benedict was very strong on. In fact, I wrote him a letter on that in 1995, and he answered me, uh, and he said exactly what we need. Yeah, and, but, and then, by the way, you wrote a wonderful book, which I recommend everybody. This is the old edition of it, The Spirit of the Liturgy by Joseph Carl Rescue, the best book on the Mass ever written. I think in that book, Joe, he talks about the different rites, you know, there's a Latin rite we're used to, but there's other rites. There's a Maronite rite, there's a Melkite rite, and so on. And these are all legitimate forms of worship of God uh, within the, the confines of Catholic doctrine and Catholic tradition. So all that is good. You know, I want to explore what you said. I mean, I think some of the, the resistance to, to uh, the plurality within the church is a lack of of faith in the authority of the church itself. And let me just like explain what I mean. Take like the Neocats, one of my uh, children's godparent, he's a Neocat, he's a good Catholic. Um, then I have friends that go to Latin mass. I don't go to Latin mass. I like a traditional Norvus order mass. I look at it like ice cream. Some people like chocolate ice cream. Some people like vanilla ice cream. Some people like strawberry ice cream. It's all good. Why? Because the church says so. You see, I look at it just simply that way. The church says so that the neocats are okay, so I'm okay with it. But people have a problem with that. They don't recognize the authority of the church. I have no authority, but the church does, and the church says it's okay. Until they don't, then then I have a problem do you think that that's a problem? I do. No, I think that's right. By the way, I do think strawberry ice cream goes out beyond the bounds of what you all like. <laughs> I mean, I, what I like is vanilla with, with mint chocolate chips in it. That's the best. But uh, I, I, I think, um, oh, shoot, I, I, I distracted myself with a silly remark. But, uh, oh, yeah, it's like devotions. 
You know, some people are devoted to Lady Fatima. That's fine. Some are Lady Guadalupe. That's fine. Some like the Green Scapture. That's great. Some like the Divine Mercy. That's wonderful. Uh, but we can't, it, you're not a better Catholic by trying to do all those things or by criticizing any of them. Now, of course, anything can be done to excess. And because we're sinful people, you know, we will uh, not embody whatever devotion we hold most dear in the best way. Uh, and so, for example, uh, sometimes you get the Latin mass people, extraordinary form people that, that you know, say, well, we have no pope, you know, or uh, the Vatican Council must be rejected. Well, that's, that's wrong. But there's others who live within the Catholic tradition. They, they, they prefer the extraordinary form. They recognize the legitimacy of the Novus Ordo. Uh, and that's fine. But you're right. Uh, the church is the norm for us because the church speaks for Christ. He who hears you hears me, said our Lord. Yeah, I, 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 I it's such a, I don't know how to describe it. It's like, it's it, sometimes it gets disheartening. Joe and I, Father Fessio, talk about it all the time. Is like, you know, exactly that. Why are you coming down on someone who, let's say, for argument's sake, and I, I was this way. I'm raising my hand. I, I was guilty of this, okay, in my journey back to practicing the faith. Oh, why is that person receiving the Eucharist on the hand? And I, and I had a good priest, a really good priest say, who are you to say that? The church says it's okay. And just like Joe just said, you know what? It was a wake-up call for me. And, and Joe's been saying that since for the whole time that I know him, even before we were doing the show. If the church says it's okay, all right, if, if the church allows something, as you mentioned earlier, Father, there are things that could be corrupted, of course, because of sinful men, all right? But at the end of the day, if the church says that there's a new mass, then there's a new mass. Deal with yeah. it. Rather than say, well, I reject the new mass. Well, who are you? And I think that that's however, important. To however, say. there is this, I got to make, make a distinction here that the church says, who is the church and what is that she says and what does she have authority to say? I mean, the church also makes mistakes, you know, or the church can do things which aren't the best. However, when it comes to the fundamental faith and morals, then we know the church speaks in, with the voice of Christ. When it comes to particular uh, liturgical decisions, they, we, we, we have to obey them if they're, if they're within the church's authority, but they may be wrong, and we should criticize them as being wrong. Uh, also, as Catholics, it's important for us to know the whole tradition of the church, because, I mean, I've, I've had seven popes in my lifetime, okay? I can't change my spirituality, change my view just because the pope changes. I've got to look at what the whole tradition says over time, and understand whatever is being said today as being interpreted only in continuity with what went before, you know? I mean, for example, if a pope should say, as, as a pope almost said or tried to say, that capital punishment is intrinsically immoral, I'd say he's a heretic. He can't say that. I know that's wrong. Uh, he can say we should avoid it. He can be opposed to it. But you can't say it's intrinsically immoral. You destroy the whole church's magisterium by doing that. So we have to be enlightened in the sense of informed Catholics uh, who, who know the tradition in order to make a judgment as to when the church says something, whether she actually has authority to say that and whether that's in continuity with what went in the past. 
And that's kind of where I was going, Father. And again, I, I'm thank you for that because you, I, I I didn't quite describe the balance. And it goes obviously, you're, you, you, if the church told you, uh, if the Pope said something that you uh, to do and it's sinful, then we're not under no obligation. So I mean, obviously, we we, we think that way. We probably only have time for for one more question, Joe Resinello. Where do you want to go with with Father Joseph Fessio? Let's marry faith with social action. You hear social justice. I'll be honest with you. I'm all about social justice. But when I hear it said, sometimes the back of the hair on the back of my neck stands up, makes me itch <laughs> because I know the direction it's going. The church is not an NGO, but the church has to be in the public square acting. We need the Dorothy days. We need them. You know, we need people in the public square to be the hands of Christ. How do we marry faith and social action and distinguish we, ourselves? It's already been married for for centuries. There's the, the 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 organization in the world which does the most charitable work happens to be the Roman Catholic Church. Period. More than the federal government, more than the European government, more than China does. The Catholic Church has more orphanages, more hospitals, more food kit, soup kitchens than, than any other organization in the world today, period. I agree, but I think sometimes people, they'll say, especially like worldly, secular, humanist people, we like that, but don't tell me what to do with my money. Don't tell me what to do in the bedroom. Don't it, it, They don't want to bend their knee, but they still want that soup kitchen. Uh, you like and without the two well, yeah i'm sorry but god is in the bedroom too you know i i would agree and all the church is doing is saying what god's plan was when he created us the divine project and what we have to do in order to fulfill ourselves according to his plan and we can do our we have that freedom as you guys thought in the beginning to ruin things and we do it but that doesn't mean it'll make us happy or make the world a better place so yeah we want God in the bedroom and in the kitchen and in the workroom and in the outdoors and because he's everywhere. But his logos, his order, his plan, his commandments embrace all the cosmos. And it's our job to conform ourselves to them in the dining room, in the bedroom and at the office and every place else. Yeah. Yeah, and and that goes over like a lead balloon right now in in America in particular, uh, Father Fessio. Because as Joe said, um, yeah, God, God is the God. God. People don't like the idea, and this includes the right too. We're not bashing the political left. Let's say they bend their knee to the free market and say, "Oh, we know it's all it's." They pull the Michael Corleone. It's not personal. It's business. No, God actually, His laws govern. Economic activity too, not just sexual activity, right. not just you know, not just your family activity. God's law applies to everybody, as Joe Rasinella loves to say on the show, whether you like it or not. We're gonna have to leave it there, Father Joseph Fessio. All right. Um, and uh, so please, everyone out there, uh, the book is The Divine Project. That was written by Joseph Cardinal Ratzinger. That's available at Ignatius Press. Uh, Father, any final thoughts? Anything exciting going on at Ignatius Press or anything you want to let us know about before we let you go? We have about no, a minute. It's always exciting. we got new books, new authors, and we're starting a fundraising campaign to keep the tradition going when I'm going to. 82 years old and 50 years of priest. So I want to make sure Ignatius Press outlasts me. Uh, that's it. But thanks. Thanks for what you're doing for the church, you guys. Father, we're trying, Father. We're trying, Father. We're, we're trying every day. 
but we're very, you know, one of the, we'll leave you with this. One of the signs that we know we're doing the right thing. We're getting a very good message out there. We're faithful to the program. We do what we believe God wants us to do. We have on great guests like you to talk about important things. Uh, so, I mean, we know we're doing the right thing. Um, and God blesses this project. So thank you, Father, as always, for coming on. We'll talk to you soon. Right. Um, and thank you all out there for joining us at the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith in the New York City metropolitan area. Make sure you download the app, the Veritas Catholic Radio Network mobile app, so you have access to all of our station's content. And if you like what Joe and I do, follow us on social media, Facebook, YouTube, uh, Twitter, at with Joe and Joe on Twitter. And remember, until the next time, that our conversation is your conversation, and that conversation is going on everywhere. We'll talk to you soon.